Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. If you haven't as yet, please become a subscriber, texasfootball.com slash subscribe. I'm going to drop something that I said on Twitter. We might be reaching, you know, pretty close to reaching a certain threshold to mm-hmm. where it might be advantageous to us, let's say. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you haven't as yet, there has never been a better time to subscribe. And I will say the same thing tomorrow and every other day until the end of time. There you go. Uh, if you haven't seen as yet, by the way, on the cover of Dave Campbell's Sex Football Rising, mm-hmm. Texas A&M quarterback commit from Longview, Texas, Haynes King. Yep. The cover looks really awesome. If you haven't seen it yet, you can actually see. I believe it's up on textfootball.com. So I have to subscribe now, right? I, think I believe so, it. yes. I will take uh, a look at that right now, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it out. Check it out. It's a really cool cover. So, I mean, if you... Yes, that is. Cool, so. cool. So, yeah, you can check it out there if you haven't seen it yet. But we also have it up on our social media. Um, you know, it's. A, I really love what we do with this, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, picking a cover subject is always interesting for this magazine because, let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, we picked Baron Browning, and yeah. <laughs> the cover was okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, we didn't do a photo shoot. We just did an action image. Last year was the first year we did a photo shoot with uh, yeah. Kenyon Green. And it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. But, um, you know, and, and with Baron Browning, the issue was he wasn't committed to a place. He ended up going out of state, mm-hmm. uh, and we ended up looking kind of silly. <laughs> but it, it was happens. still good. It, yeah. You know, we, we can't be right about all of them, right? Right. Uh, but... but um, but you know, this year, this was just to me a really easy choice, right? I mean, he is everything. Yeah, every he is the perfect in a lot of ways in terms of off-field stuff quarterback mm-hmm. uh, prospect coming from the state of Texas, right? No, he's fab. It's it's he comes from a, a crazy, crazy, crazy community of diehard football fans. Right. We love he's going our to, Longview fans, yeah. man. And he's going to another crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy obsessed football fan base in A&M. Yeah. and M. A great uh, kid, great, great, great kid, kid too. Uh, Everything uh, you know, won a state title. What a state coach's kid. Coach's kid won a state title. Like he, he's, uh, you know, sneaky athletic. Right. Uh, what other monikers can we give? Him? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're, uh, uh, student of the game. Uh, Jim Rad is for the last one to leave. But, but in all seriousness, Haynes King is a really good kid, and, yeah. and we're very excited to see him at Texas A&M next year. And we're yep. very excited, obviously, that he's, a, that he's going to be staying in state because he's one yeah. of the best high school football players in the state this year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so if you – anyway, this is all to say. If you subscribe, you get the uh, recruiting edition, which, by the way, if you don't know, um, we run through basically all the top prospects in basically every level mm-hmm. of, of Texas high school football and – you know, have capsules for them, let people know what you need to know. Uh, you know, we go a little lighter on the who's committed to who, obviously, with the magazine, because it's more of a, it's more looking at the kids. Right, it's more analysis as opposed right. to projection or predictions, and, things and like that. the thing is, you know, I mean, there are obviously a lot of places that cover recruiting. But when you look at what we do, mm-hmm. I think that we do it different, um, just because I think that we have such good knowledge of the state of Texas. You know, we've got next level athlete, obviously, and Greg Powers, all that, who does a tremendous job. Um, it's a really cool magazine. I, yeah. I wasn't really familiar with it before I started working here, but it's it's if you are a fan of recruiting in the state of Texas, I think it's a must have. Um, and you get that magazine. In addition, you get our summer magazine mailed to your house next year too. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm being a salesman right now, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> it's my job. Uh, only 1995 for the first year, plus shipping and handling. Like it's, I mean, that doesn't even add up. Like that's less than the price of both magazines, and you get the mail to your house, and you get access to all of our online content. So, anyway, salesman hat off. 
the football analyst hat on. Uh, the season is officially over. The regular season is officially done. Um, eight teams from the FBS ranks are no longer playing football anymore. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I think Greg rang the numbers. This is the least bowl teams from the state of Texas since 2002. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was a tough year. I, <laughs> I mean, you know me. I people love were, people were distracted by the shiny SMU and Baylor toys <laughs> that they just forget well, about the that, complete carnage behind them. That's kind of the funny thing, right? Is that for me, you know, as somebody who covers the state, mm-hmm. I felt like I was not falling into a rut with SMU and Baylor, but because mm-hmm. that makes it sound negative. I mean, it, they right, were right, b- right. both tremendous stories, but like I was just falling into like, huh. I guess I should write about these two schools a lot. Right. And, you know, it's a little weird, right? Because you're like, gosh, what about all these other schools that are awesome? You know, why? Mm-hmm. Oh, shouldn't I write about North Texas? Shouldn't I write about Houston? It's like, well, I guess not, you know? <laughs> and, and obviously I still did. But, right. but yeah, it really feels like the state of Texas, in terms of the quality schools in the state, like, just shrunk so much this year. Yeah. Like, there were kind of two good teams in the state this year. There were two okay teams in the state this year, and then there was a lot of bad. Yeah, it it, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing else to say. It sucked. It was bad. Yeah, it yeah, got yeah. to a point where watching college football became a chore. So, <laughs> I've I've never reached that point in my life. Oh man, it was, it was. I have it was no a chore. Clue. That's him speaking. I love I love it all. <laughs> I watched every second of that UTEP Rice game in the last week of the season, yeah. and I have a sickness. <laughs> anyway. Let's go ahead and, and talk about some of the changes that have been made after the season, right? Yeah. So the the big one, obviously, and actually, if you're a UTSA fan, we're going to have a premium pod coming out in the next couple of hours, maybe next day, uh, just talking about UTSA, mm-hmm. the coaching search. So we're not going to go too in-depth with this right now. Um, but UTSA Fires head coach Frank Wilson, after four seasons, I believe he finished with a 17-27 and 20, or 17-27 record, mm-hmm. um, obviously reached six wins each of his first two years and and then in the last two seasons a combined seven wins it's just not going to be good enough i don't think anymore right. um so so when you see this uh, are you surprised first of all that they decided to make a change a little yeah um because again didn't have his quarterback yeah um injuries kind of here and there um they were i think better than i thought they'd be this season sure uh, they performed better offensively than definitely better offensively. That, that's a than big I part. Yeah. I think definitely. Um, but in the end, I mean, I could see where they probably were like, you know what, no, like where they just thought, yeah, this might have been a little little bump in what we thought. Yeah. Uh, kind of the plat, uh, it was looking like a plateau. It was a little bump, but I felt that Lisa Campos was looking at next year. You know, yeah. two years down the line, is like, yeah, oh, she does not like where this is going long term. Right. Well, I think that. And and I want to preface by saying, like, Frank Wilson is a really good guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had great experiences with him. We wish him all the best. Um, I do think that some of the talk around it, he's being tr- he's been sort of profiled as a guy who's in year one or two mm-hmm. and not in year four. Right. You know, I mean, because ultimately, like, yes, I think that they were clearly building in the right direction, right? They were clearly making improvements on offense. I think their roster and talent is, is definitely reaching a certain point. But, like... This is the sort of thing you wish you were seeing in year two. Yeah. You know, this is this is year four. You're, you've got all your guys in there. Um, I am still a little surprised that they didn't give him one more shot at it mm-hmm. because, like you said, didn't have his quarterback. Um, there was clear progress. I think that clearly the uh, offensive coordinator change from Al Borges to Jeff Castle worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the flip side of that, too, is that the defense kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that obviously – 
one thing that you've seen in college football is once a fan base starts to lose interest, that's always a big thing. And I think that UTSA fans are some of the most, you know, some of the best in the state, really, really and truly. But, but I mean, the excitement was starting to fade a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's sometimes one of those things that you talk about when making a change. Um, We've got an article up on TexasFootball.com with some of the candidates that we think uh, could be in line for this job. You know, some of the ones I'll briefly mention, I think uh, Rhett Lashley from SMU, their offense coordinator, would make a lot of sense. Football Scoop actually had a list of guys who came out. One was Pete Golding, who's a guy that we mentioned, was obviously the defense coordinator there for a couple of years, now at Alabama. Um, you know, I... I, I'm not sure how I feel about their list of candidates right now because I do think this this could be a pretty high-profile job if, if it's built in the right direction. Um, but at the same time, they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. you know. So it's kind of hard to evaluate what kind of interest they might get. Chad Morris is a name that we heard. Uh, Major Applewhite's a name that we heard. Um, again, we're going to have a whole other podcast on this, so, uh, so check out textfootball.com if you haven't as yet, and hopefully it'll be up not too long after this podcast. Uh, let's go ahead and move on, though, okay? Let's start with Texas. So, <laughs> put mm. in a certain way, mm. <laughs> the fault was only the offenses and the defenses. Right. So that's the only reason that they lost games. Yeah, totally. Offensive coordinator Tim Beck has been reassigned. He's going to stay on as quarterback coach, but they're going to bring in a new offensive coordinator. And I must remind you at this moment, Tom Herman calls the plays at Texas. Yep. <laughs> defensive coordinator Todd Orlando is out completely. Mm-hmm. Uh we don't know of any other staff changes on defense at this point. I think they're waiting for what the coordinator yeah, wants to do. I mean, do. That, that's always something can, that you wait on. I think you can presume that there's going to be changes on that side. There, of there will as well. be. I mean, because last year, I mean, Alex Grinch came in at Oklahoma. They didn't really make many changes. That's really an exception. Yeah. That, that's pretty unusual. Right, right. Um, you know, for them to not make changes. So I'd expect some changes on that. Especially with how staff. small that staff is. Yeah. Like, there's only five, four or five coaches on that side of the ball. Yeah. So I feel like he's going to want to make some changes. Yeah, you'd imagine. You'd imagine that they bring in at least one or two people. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and uh, also on the offensive side of the ball, wide receivers mm-hmm. coach Drew Maringer is – out there's been a lot of talk around why that might have been and we're not going to get into conjecture and and rumors on that sort of stuff but let's say uh it sounds like you might have had some rifts with yeah. uh, with some people um also assistant wide receivers coach corby meekins has been reassigned to an off-field role uh i was a little surprised to see them so focused on the wide receivers now again the marrying yourself Sounds like there's a lot more to it, mm-hmm. but but it is still kind of interesting that that was a position that they targeted because that was one of the better position groups I think for Texas this year. Uh, as far as we know, those are the only changes on on offense uh, right now. Obviously, Herband isn't going to go anywhere. The right. offensive line coach, I mean, he's he's a co-OC. He's got a giant contract. Um, Stan Drayton doesn't sound like he's going anywhere. The running backs coach. So, ish. When you look at this Texas situation, mm-hmm. what are your first thoughts? Um. <clears throat> so after all these changes are made, what's Tom Herman going to do? Yeah, there's there's a certain <laughs> level of this with like. So the issue was all of your coaches. Yeah. So what exactly do you do here? Right. <laughs> and again, I I must reiterate mm-hmm. that Tom Herm, Tom Herman calls his own plays. Yes. I think that that's this a, is Tom Herman's offense. Right. Like the that's the thing where you look at the Tim Beck firing. Yeah. Or reassigning, I guess you can say. Um. Okay, cool. Yes, sure. Reassign him. Bring in an offensive coordinator that you presumably will give the keys to the offense to. Right. If not, then why would you reassign Tim Beck? And then if that's the case, again, what do you do? 
because right. you you brought, this is this was Tom Herman's thing. Right. His entire coaching career was built off the fact that look what he did with these three Ohio State quarterbacks. He won a national title with a third string quarterback running an right. offense that was really explosive and did not miss a beat. He goes to Houston. He turns Greg Ward into a really awesome op, uh, a power spread run quarterback. That offense is fun. They're energetic. It's exciting. Cool. Bring that to Texas. If they're not running that, what's happening? Right. <laughs> like if they come in, if they hire a Graham Harrell, if they hire a Chad Morris, a Larry Fedora, right, who's already on staff, if they just promote him into. Well, the, and they've kind of pushed him off. They said that he's right, going to that, come back. That's fair. That's role. fair. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Somebody of that ilk. What does Tom Herman do? What you, you were brought in to be the offensive guy. The, the CEO era is gone. Mac Brown's gone. Right. Charlie Strong is gone. That they don't want a CEO advisor. But that's what Tom Herman turns into, right? Kind of. And I mean, he kind of turns into, for some extent, a recruiter, right? Right, like, right. Like, that's kind of, and, and that's not really, he's, he's a very good recruiter. Yeah. Now, don't get but, me wrong. Again, I mentioned Mac Brown, yeah. uh, Dabo Swinney. It works. The it CEO works. model works, but that's not what Tom Herman was hired to be. Well, and the other thing, too, is that just personality-wise, I don't think that that's what Tom Herman is. Because, for example, Mac Brown, fantastic you know, presence at Texas. It's, right. it's not like he was a great X and O's coach. Right? Oh, he, was, he, was a C, he was president. Yeah, he, president was, he was a fine X and O's coach, yeah. but he was brought in because he kept all the boosters happy. Mm-hmm. And Dabo Swinney... And he knew how to delegate. He, right. Yeah. Dabo Swinney, same deal. Like, right. I, if Dabo Swinney were to become an offensive coordinator tomorrow, I'm sure he'd be fine. Right. But that's not why he's there. No. You know, he's there so that you can keep hiring all these assistants who are awesome and he keeps everybody happy and recruits and motivates the team and is right. just tremendous at it. That's not why Tom Herman's there. That's not his personality. He's not a rah-rah guy who's going to keep everybody happy. That's not necessarily his deal, mm-hmm. right? And he looks like a genius when things are working, but right. then when things aren't working, he looks like a mad genius, mm-hmm. right? And so the two names that immediately came up in regards to this Texas offensive coordinator hire were LSU passing game coordinator Joe Brady mm-hmm. and USC offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. And uh, here's the two things about this, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk about Joe Brady— I just see no way in hell that he leaves. He's not leaving. He, they're grooming him to be the coordinator. Right. He's going to be the he's well, going to be and, the play caller on the coordinator. And the thing is too, like, like they he was not officially coordinator because they were like, let's see how this goes. Yeah, they they just wanted to try him out. Right. And so they brought him on as an analyst. The, so a lot of people are saying, well, you know, he could be a full on coordinator at a blue blood school. Dude, he's he's the architect of the number one offense in the nation. Right. We we don't have to. He do has, this. A, but he but he's potentially he potentially has a head coaching job in right. like another year. Like he's gonna be he, at LSU. He could get a head coaching job this year if he wanted. To. Right. Right. You know, Ed Orgeron's would, not stupid. Right. LSU is not stupid. They know he's, that he, that he's gonna be defa- He might not be the label offensive right. coordinator. He's de facto offensive coordinator right, of that right. team right now. And the thing with USC, yeah, that's interesting. And Graham Harrell is that I do think that Graham Harrell would be interested in coming mm-hmm. potentially. I mean, he's a Texas guy, you know, went to Texas Tech, obviously, all, all that sort of stuff. I think yeah. that he would be very interested in becoming the offensive coordinator at Texas. But if you're USC, this reminds me a lot of the Major Appleby thing last year, where once Kendall Bryles left, it was like, why are you? What here? are you? Yeah, what and are you doing here? The difference, of course, being that USC isn't going to get outbid by anybody. And so USC is going to fight to keep him. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay probably a, a big guaranteed contract to Graham Harrell. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the knowledge that, again, if, if Tom Herman has a bad year next year, the whole staff is fired. Right. Uh, on top of that, uh, you're going to have this system, you know, this power spread system, and then switch to being a pure air raid. How's Keontae Ingram feel about that? 
How's Jordan Whittington feel about that? How's how does Sam, how's Sam, Ellinger, Ellinger, feel Sam Ellinger feel about that? Like you, yeah. Again, you've recruited right. to this. How system. does Jaquindon Jackson feel about this? Right. Like yeah, exactly. Your 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 prize quarterback coming in this year. Um, yeah. Again, you're changing philosophies completely. Completely. And what was Texas's best? There, there's been two versions of Texas's offense that have worked great. Yeah. Last year, it was the ground and pound. Run Sam Ellinger 15 times a game and make sure they control the clock. Earlier this year was a balance, right? right. Yes, they were more explosive, but they still had those elements, right? They still yeah. had the elements of uh, it was Roshan Johnson at times. It was County Ingram, Jordan Whittington. It was a balanced effort. That's not going to happen if you bring in Graham Harrell. Right. Now, granted, I think they probably should look at Graham Harrell uh, if they are smart and want the best guys on the market. Yeah, sure. You obviously want to take a look at one yeah. of the best offensive minds in college football. But – you're rebranding yourself a lot, and yeah, like I, man, you're you have to. Do you have another Devin Duvernay on your roster too? Because you're going to need a Devin Duvernay to get that right. system to work right to work right. those underneath routes. Right. And I, you know, Brandon Eagles doesn't want to run slants for <laughs> his whole career. God, no. um, so it's going to be really tough. I yeah. just, I understand why the change had to be made, but I just don't know. One, I don't know what Tom Herman does now if yeah. he's not calling the plays or running his system. Yeah. And I just don't know what a system change does to the current group of players right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, and let's just quickly touch on the defense. So, yeah. um, two of the names that I've heard most rumored are Utah defense coordinator Morgan Scally, who, mm-hmm. again, another guy who Utah's going to fight tooth and nail to keep. Right. I mean, he, that dude might get them into the college football playoff this right. year. You know, so he, I think that things would have to be pretty perfect for him to come and join a staff that, again, in a year could be at risk of being fired. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guy that we've heard is uh, is former Ohio State's defense coordinator and former Rutgers head coach Chris, Chris Ash. Ash. Yeah. Um, cool. I don't. I mean, I, I think he's a good coordinator. He was a good coordinator at Ohio State, yeah. um, and I think he I could have, be good at Texas. I think he could be good at Texas. I, I have a, some questions about how he would scheme versus the Big Twelve. Yeah, versus the Big Twelve. I, now, granted, the Big Twelve is not. The wide open Big Twelve no. of five years no. ago that Charlie Strong couldn't figure out. So there's some there's something to that. No, mo- no matter what Jim Mora says on ESPN. Now. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to Texas State. Uh, they made a couple of changes to offensive coordinator Bob Stitt is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, wide receivers coach Ron Antoine is out. Uh, there was another one, right? Uh, uh, tight ends coach Morris Berger is okay. also out. Yeah. So. so so three changes on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, look, Jake Spavital was billed as an offensive coach when he came in here, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Bob Stitt has been very well regarded around the sport for a long time, but he also hadn't made it to the FBS level before. Right. Um, what What are your sort of your first thoughts about what happened? I think... I'm cur- the, the decision to bring in Bob Stitt was always curious to me. Yeah. A lot of people in college football obviously like Bob Stitt. Um, he's influenced his, his for the fact that he was able to influence the FBS game coming from Colorado School of Mines mm-hmm. all the way up to West Virginia. Obviously, we saw in the Orange Bowl beatdown that they gave Clemson a couple years ago, and the fly sweep, the invention of that. I think the game. I think one thing we can all kind of agree on is probably the game's caught up. Yeah, maybe yeah. definitely passed. Well, I mean, by. I mean, you talk about. His innovations. We're talking about 2011, right? Exactly. And so, bring him in. On the surface, though, it was still an interesting move. Okay, let's bring in this innovative guy. Let's see what you could do. Definitely. But also, well, the the thing too that I'll add on to that is mm-hmm. that you were hoping that you're bringing in a an experienced coach who knows how to build a program, right? Also that. But 
the thing that the question that was raised to me at the time that I thought was really well, really, really interesting that I kind of wanted to see how it played out was, okay, we asked this about Tom Herman. Then what's the point of Jake Spavitt all? Yeah. If you, you bring in an air raid guy, you bring in an offensive mind, you bring in a play caller and then you hand play calling duties off to Bob Stitt. You hand him, he's not an air raid guy. Yeah. And so, yeah, the idea in concept, the idea of them kind of bouncing ideas off each other and innovation with this air raid style and this kind of fly sweep, you know, offense. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Yes, but you don't. You don't. To me, you don't hire Jake Spavadol to kind of bounce ideas off. You hire Jake Spavadol to say, "Hey, run this offense." That's made your career. I think that's fair, but I mean, I, I look for example at uh, at what's happening at SMU, right, where mm-hmm. you have this perfect sort of mix of Sonny Dykes, who's been a play caller most of his career, mm-hmm. with Rhett Lashley, who's obviously been a play caller. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the, the thought process to try to push off some of the responsibilities, just because I think. Uh, yes, you definitely do bring him in to try to fix the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I also do think that there is value with him as a recruiter, as you know, as a face of the program, as a, a young, energetic guy as well. Like, I think that there is value to that. Now, at the same time, I, I think that the thought process was always Jake's going to call plays unless he gets somebody that he really trusts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you do get somebody with the pedigree of Bob Stitt, I understand the thought process. Now. I think that we can both agree it didn't work. Right. Um, you know, but I, I, when it was announced, I didn't have a huge. No, no. I, I, again, when it was announced, I was a fan of it because, yeah. again, in concept, the idea works. Right. right? Two offensive minds controlling this thing. Well, let's right. fix this thing together. Let's see where this goes. Um, but obviously, it didn't work out. Right. Um, even given his handpicked quarterback in Gress Jensen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it is confirmed. I believe Kev Chardello did confirm with Jake Spout. He's calling plays. Yeah. No matter who the offensive coordinator is, they're coming in. He is going to be the one with the play calling headset, with the play sheet. And I believe they, I mean, again, unless they bring in someone, I'm assuming he's going to bring in someone more in line with his philosophy, yeah. more in line with his air raid style right, of play. Right, right. And, I mean, ultimately... The funny thing looking at the numbers mm-hmm. is that the offense was as bad, if not worse, than last year. Yeah. You know, when you look at the final numbers. Mm-hmm. And there's context, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the offense did look better when Jensen was in the game than when Tyler Bitt was in the game. But, like, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know. Uh, I know. When, when you're a bottom 15 offense. Yeah. I mean. I know um, Kev's also saying that the hire's not going to be made immediately. Yeah. Um they're going to wait till probably after signing day, probably after the yeah. bulls he said. So it's going to be a process to look at um oh and just some breaking news right now. His strength and conditioning coach was let go as well. Wow. So that literally just tweeted out. So Jake Spavadol is I don't say clearing house, but he's definitely making some pretty stark changes cuz that's not a small one. Strength and conditioning no, is not no, a small no. one. So. No. I mean, I think that's really interesting. And I think that one, I think a big part of it is it is obvious and they said it at the time, but it's obvious. Spavadol and that's and everybody mm-hmm. thought that this was going to be immediate success. Yeah, you know that that he was brought in to do that. He was and, brought in to fix this, not to build this. Yes, and um, and again, I think that there's there have been legitimate things that I think that have been positive yeah. since they've come in. But I mean, I think that at the end of the day, you, you know, the steps weren't taken that we expected to be taken, mm-hmm. um, and. And I think that obviously the offense is the biggest indicator of that. It's the most damning indicator of that because mm-hmm. if you can't take what was one of the worst offenses in college football and improve on it, what are you doing here? Yeah. How do you? How do you? 
No one's saying to turn them into a top 50 unit overnight. No. But how in God's name do they look worse? <laughs> you could have a top 100 unit at least. Right. right? I think that that's a fair expectation. Right. right. You know, get out of that bottom, bottom tier. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think credit to, to that staff for, for looking at things and saying this isn't okay. Now, again, I think that Bob Stitt was a very interesting hire in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because he's the sort of coach that you're like, wow. It's a little surprising that not that Texas State was able to get him, but mm-hmm. like okay, that he'd want to do this maybe. Yeah, you know, and I think he wanted to try and prove his chops as an FBS right. play caller, right? So. And and I think that that's again when we saw this, we thought, oh, that's a really perfect scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that potentially could be awesome. Yeah, and it hasn't worked. So now you're probably looking younger, right? You're probably looking either somebody on the up up and coming in uh, in FCS or maybe something. Uh, actually, one guy who I think would be really interesting is uh, is. Um, I can't remember his name, the offensive coordinator at Houston Baptist, mm. you know, because yeah. he's an air raid guy. Mm-hmm. He, he was a cliff guy specifically now. Right. And, and maybe there's a little bit of disconnect there, you know, because because uh, Spavadol is an air raid guy. He's not a cliff guy. Right. You know, he's right. not a Mike Leach. He's, specifically. A, um, he's, he's more of a someone, Dana guy. Someone. I guess. Someone in Dana. Yeah. Right. Right. And so um, they're that. a little bit more spread than the pure air raid guys. Yeah. Uh, but they're still part of that club. They're still part of that, all of that. Um, uh, Zach Kidley. Yeah, yeah. He's he's done a great job. He was actually, I think, an analyst on Cliff's staff. Yeah. And they brought him in. So, I mean, a lot of credit to to, uh, to Houston Baptist for finding, I think. Grad assistant. Grad assistant. Grad assistant and well. assistant quarterbacks coach at Tech under Cliff Kingsbury. Man, credit to Vic Schaefer, uh, Vic uh, Sheely. Mm-hmm. He, he will do whatever it takes, man. He, yeah. he's, he's a cool dude. But but anyway, I think that he's the sort of guy who, who would be interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to have the... He's not going to have the the pedigree to yeah. to where you say, well, why isn't he calling the plays? You know, it's right. going to be like Spavadol is calling the plays. Like, kind of like a, a Sean McVay, Zach Taylor kind of thing. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, you appreciate Zach Taylor as a mind and things like that. Or a, a, a Matt LaFleur before him where it's like. NFL head coach. Zach right, exactly. <laughs> um, but like, I yeah. still can't believe that. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. like you realize, you realize who the one A in that relationship is. It's, right. It'll be it'd be Jake Spavadol. Yeah. And it'd be somebody who isn't quite an experience but is in line with that philosophy. Definitely. So. Yeah, and I think that there are options out there. I mean, there are even guys, you know, who are maybe lower assistants who've served at West Virginia under Holgerson, for example. Or I mean, that that Houston staff with Sevlin was a goldmine. You yeah. know, I mean, get a grad assistant from there. I don't know who was on that staff, for example, or an analyst or whoever. Like, there there are options out there. And I mean, again, I think that's I think that Jake Spavadol seems to be a good guy to work for too. You know, and and. I think that, uh, you know, the talent's there. The opportunities are there. Again, this is – we've talked about this extensively. It's a school 30 minutes south of Boston. It's a great area to be in. Like, there's no reason for an up-and-comer not to take this job, in my opinion. So, yeah. uh, credit to them for going out and doing it. It is kind of weird, obviously, uh, Coach Antoine being let go. He was a holdover from the Everett Withers area. Yeah, it's an and unfortunate one because he's married to Coach Z, the women's basketball coach. Right. And uh, I know they'd spent the majority of their marriage apart because, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Coach uh, Ron Antoine was at Fresno State. Yeah. Um, and obviously Coach Z's not going anywhere with how she's been uh, – how she's grown the basketball program. So, unfortunate for them, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that that had to come Hopefully, to Hopefully uh, – I mean, gosh, I'll tell you what, as somebody – was with somebody across the literal freaking country for most of our relationship before yeah. we got married. I, I hope that they find something good. But. Yeah, no, I say, seriously. <laughs> All right, uh, last one, last one, North Texas. Oh, boy, speaking of things that did not work out, um, so, you want to focus on Bodie Reader first? <laughs> well, let's let's just drop in. So, yeah. um, so offensive coordinator Bodie Reader let go. Yeah. Defense coordinator Troy Rufford let go. Yeah. Uh, 
I was really high on the Bodhi hire. I think we all were. I think we uh, honestly once because like you were the first to kind of like, hey, this is actually pretty okay. And yeah. once you kind of sold it to us, I think we were all high well, on that being good. Here's the deal, right? I mean, just to, just to recap a little bit, mm-hmm. Bodhi Reader was he's one of the fastest rising guys that, we, that there's kind of been, right? I mean, he started at the D three level and ended up calling SCS plays, la- you know, last year, mm-hmm. uh, and he kind of carried that Eastern Washington team to the FCS title game. Mm-hmm. After they lost their quarterback, he completely changed their offense yeah. and still just kept winning, right? So I looked at him as a guy, and, and again, it's always too easy to say, like, this is somebody's fault, right? Like, I mean, that's it's not as simple as that. But, but I saw him as a guy who would come in and not only maybe do some of the things that Graham Harrell did and mm-hmm. that Seth Luttrell wants to do, but also would add a little bit of his own flavor. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work, man. Nope. And... A big part of it, obviously, is offensive line issues. I mean, that's been a constant since Mason Fine has been there, obviously. Yeah. But it just it just but didn't work. Looked, they looked visibly less explosive. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you can say it's offensive line. Yes, it is. They, they, and, and you can say they lost Rico Bussey, but like, right. they've got other guys. Right. They've got other guys. They've been recruited. You know, they're how many years into Seth Luttrell already? Those are his guys. This is his right. offense. And his. they're recruited to his system and his philosophy. And it's just like golly like they just look yeah. so much more sluggish this year yeah yeah and i mean there are some real real head scratchers mm-hmm. in there you know i mean that rice game being top of the list i yeah. mean they scored 14 points against rice they scored 14 points mm-hmm. against rice and we love our rice owls on this program but right. we also understand that that's not good enough <laughs> um yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and, and just to touch on the defense coordinator, Troy Reffitt, too. He's been there since Latrell got there. He was co-DC to start, then became the primary defensive play caller in 2017. Mm-hmm. That defense was a big part of UNT's season last year. You know, they were very good. Uh, this year, obviously, a big drop-off after they lost players like EJ Ajia, after they lost both cornerbacks, after they lost a couple of defensive linemen. They, they kind of lost everybody, right? They yeah. kind of lost all the, the difference makers other than Kyrie Muhammad on that team and Ladarius Hamilton. I don't know. It's it's just it's hard because my question now becomes: you got to go and hire somebody else, mm-hmm. you know. After after firing both of these guys, and um, you know, when you're when you're in North Texas and you haven't been known for defense, I think it becomes harder. I think offensive coordinator won't be the hardest thing to to sell necessarily, but defensive coordinator is going to be really interesting. Yeah, golly, and I don't I mean, ew, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I honestly, I do not know. Yeah. Um, <coughs> We kind of know where Seth Luttrell kind of sees where he is in the in the yeah. kind of I, I I'm really surprised that Seth Luttrell is already or feels after one year, one bad year that he's in the I need to clean house phase. That that's the biggest thing to me, right? Yeah. Is like when these when these moves came out, it was just and, and I'll back up and say like, this was Mason Fine's senior year and and wasting that is unforgivable. Mm-hmm. I understand that part yeah. of it, right? And I kind of feel the same way, right? Um, but look at the two, uh, the two programs that cleaned house this year, right? Mm-hmm. Look at the mayhem that's going on right now at Texas. I didn't feel like that would need to happen at North Texas right. because they've had sustained success, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this, I really still feel like is more of a blip than systemic issues. Like I understand why they had to fire Bodie. Like I understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that's a fine move. I'm a little surprised that with how much youth they had on that defense that they were just like, no, thank you, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Because, again, they're not 
great. They were never great. You know, 2018, they were pretty good. But I don't know. I, I also just didn't look at it and see this is a this is a situation where Seth Luttrell needs to start over. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is the most surprising thing for me is that he's kind of hitting a reset on, on the whole program in a lot of ways. Right. Like, because now no Mason Fine, no Troy Reffitt, who's been there since the beginning. Obviously, uh, the offensive coaching staff, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen with everybody, basically. Th- this, again, is, is the most surprising to me just because I didn't think that Latrell would need to be that aggressive. Right. That's... Mm, I'm wondering... See, the thing about... Yes, we can say the Bodie Reader thing didn't work out. But again, you're losing your seniors. Right. Like, you're clear... Okay, now let's start with quarterbacks who run the system, who know the system, with the skill right. players who run the system. That's where... Yeah, that's where... It's, I agree that that's where the curiosity begins because like, it's almost like a clean slate now. Right. Well, and and, and you hired like a perfect, 32-year-old dude and gave him a year. Right. And so, and a, a year with a with uh, with players who had been under Graham Harrell, right? And a so, pure air raid, yeah, guy. pure air raid guy. So, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I don't know if he just, I don't know if he all of a sudden there's pressure there, maybe, maybe because like, and there know, there we, is expectations now. Sure, and again, he's a, he could be a victim of his own success. Yeah, um, we've seen that happen at. A&M, we saw that happen, um, I'm trying to think of another, uh, Frank Wilson at UTSA. We're seeing it happen with yeah. Tom Herman. Right, we're seeing it happen right now with Tom Herman, where it's like, oh, look, oh, this is where we could be, this is where we always should be, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just really, it's really curious, because as a whole, not just with the coaching staff, but on the football roster, this is going to be a new North Texas, right? Because yeah. offense is going to be brand new, defense is going to be new, the coaching staff, obviously, uh, recruiting has not been going that great for them this year. I, at least I don't feel like I'm hearing a lot about North Texas recruiting. They felt they had a lot more momentum a year ago. Yeah. And now I think that, I mean, I'll look at the rankings. I think they've hung on to most of this class. So I think that they're still top-end Conference USA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've got the number two class in Conference USA. Uh, but, you know, they still only have 17 commits right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so that's that's something that... Now you're going to have to go and, and sell. The flip side, obviously, that you do say is, okay, well, so, you know, this head coach might be around for a little, a little longer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that I think that everybody had to wonder about after last year because the thought process was always sort of, you know, oh, well, he can wait, at, wait it out because they're going to go 9-3 and three this year and then he can get a job next year. So, so right. that's the one flip side is at least they know that a coach is going to be around. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean <laughs> – my analysis isn't as good on this because I'm still just a little flabbergasted that it all happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I, I mean, I thought he built up enough cachet to be right. like, yeah, it's fine. You know, we had a hiccup. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And and maybe at the same time, maybe this is not pressure. Maybe this is Latrell just being like, if I don't fix this quick, I'm going to lose my chance to move up. Yeah. And, you know, fair. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's mm-hmm. a fair thing. Because, like, for example, if he went if he went 9-4 and four this year again, right? Right. If he went 8-5 and five this year. Arkansas is open, mm-hmm. Missouri's open. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think you'd get Florida State necessarily unless they went to like you know went like eleven and one. But right. like you know, Florida State's open. I mean, there's a lot of open jobs right now that are very good. And yeah, I mean, he kind of missed his chance on that. And actually, the thing that I keep hearing, which is kind of funny, honestly, is is uh, is a lot of athletic directors are saying 
we are shocked with how bad our list of candidates is for these jobs. Mm-hmm. We thought that when we fired Barry Odom, when we fired Chad Morris, we'd have a list, you know, a great list that we'd be able to pull from. Yep. And basically it's going to turn into everybody fighting over Mike Norvell. Yeah, basically. And, and maybe him saying no to all of them because mm-hmm. I don't know whether you should take any of those jobs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird deal. Um, yeah. Where they are, yeah, because – and then <laughs> – and I don't know, like some, you could, uh, I would make the argument that like, hey, you probably should still take, kick the can on Seth Luttrell, but obviously you can't yeah. sell that after this kind of year. No. Um, well, you definitely can't at Arkansas. No, God, no. After, um, especially after you had to sell them on Chad Morris in the first place. Right. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think you can. Cause like also who is he bringing with him? Cause he right. doesn't have a staff anymore. Right. <laughs> hey, turns out, uh, turns out the whole Kansas state thing about him not being able to bring a staff <laughs> shouldn't have been an issue. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to any Nortex fans that are listening. That was me. Oh, God. <laughs> but but seriously, I mean, yeah. they're still in a good spot, right? Like, they, right. they're still raising the profile of that program. I right. still think they're going to recruit just fine. They're going to have a top three uh, conference USA class. Right. Uh, they're you know going to have one of the best conference USA coaches back. Their facilities are becoming incredible. They've got an indoor facility now. Like, North Texas will be fine. Mm-hmm. But... Because that they're fine, that makes it a little even more surprising to me that they were so aggressive right. and decided to just start over. So, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I think that's enough coaching news for now. Again, we will have a separate podcast on UTSA because there's just way too much to get into. As it a, as looks a like it'll be the only head coaching change this yeah, offseason. So. Yeah. I mean, one, one that we will me- uh, mention is uh, is uh, Schultz over at Lamar. Oh, yeah. Mike Schultz. He, he, Mike Schultz over at Lamar. He's, he's out uh, after a couple of years with the program. Mm-hmm. Another guy who's a victim of his own success. They made the FCS playoffs last year for the first time since bringing back their program. Mm-hmm. Um, and they struggled this year. And they're like, ah, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> they lost their you know, projected starting quarterback right. midway through the year. Like, I don't know. I mean, there must be some behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe. Um, as I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Coach Schultz from his time at Texas State. Yep. Um, nice guy. Uh, he's incredible ambassador for what you what Lamar would obviously want for their program. Um, he was always open to <clears throat> me when I was at the Daily Record, and uh, still was a great interview because I did the Lamar preview a couple years yeah. ago. Um, I think his. I feel like his brand of football is a little archaic. Okay. Um, he runs. He's kind of in the Bob Davey, Francione mold of kind of, in a way, it's kind of running in a, an option from the pistol a little bit, but yeah. it's it, it's not as creative as, say, a Willie Fritz. It's not as right. modern. Um, there's definitely a lot l- less creative passing patterns to it, mm-hmm. um, and I can see where that wear, wears down on people, uh, as I can speak from experience, that um, <laughs> Texas State fans did grow very tired of Francione and, and, and Coach Schultz offense his later right. years at Texas State. Even when they were 7-5, and five, right. there were some games you're watching, it was like, how are they in this game? Right. Um, and it can wear down on people, and if you don't recruit to it, it can look really ugly when it doesn't work. <laughs> and so I can see the, how uh, that probably didn't work out. Yeah, so, yeah Lamar is an interesting job to me too. It is because it's, it's actually in a very fertile recruiting. You're in a very you're in a hotbed, especially for FCS where yeah. a lot of guys might get overlooked. Right. Um, that Beaumont Golden Triangle area yeah. is a very good recruiting spot. Yeah. Yeah. Port Arthur man like yeah. Beaumont. It, it's Creep just into Louisiana, get yeah. some of Houston. Like it is a very good money. spot. And yeah. you know Lamar has never had success since they brought back football. Right. Uh, you know, again, this was their last. This was her first FCS playoff appearance, you know, mm-hmm. which credit to him for getting them there, too. I mean, I think he probably deserves more credit for that. Yeah. Um, you know, so I am curious to see where they go. I mean, I think that this is the sort of area that would be, you know, 
ripe for obviously like an air raid guy to just go and have his own program basically but but you know that's also what everybody else is doing too so i'm curious to see what they end up doing i mean i'd imagine that the beaumont area you could probably get some bigger guys there too if you wanted to run something more power um but i don't know there's a lot of different directions that they could go with this um i I think it's going to be an intriguing opening because again it's it's one of those programs that if you get it right you could succeed there um but it's also one of those programs that there's not an obvious path to the top right just when you're competing with the SFAs and the Sam Houstons. Yep. So let's go ahead and get to our guest. We've got Matt Wilson from over at Arlington Conventions and Visitor Bureau. He's going to be talking to us about the Big 12 Championship game. I know we got this far in the podcast and didn't even mention that there's still the game of football left in the state of Texas, Baylor versus Oklahoma. So sit around. We will be right back after this break. We're joined now for our picks of the week by a very special guest. We got Matt Wilson in the house from Arlington Convention and Visitors Bureau. Matt, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have a big game in Arlington this we week, do. right? We do. The Baylor Bears taking on the Oklahoma Sooners in the Big Twelve Championship game, and I think we just need to take a second before the year. How many people had Baylor versus Oklahoma in this title? Not game? I. I think we had we had it kind of as a dark horse thing, right? We, we thought like Oklahoma was right. probably penciled in. That, yeah. that was easy. It was yeah, like, well, yeah, we well. kind of assumed probably Texas, you know, obviously, or TCU would bounce back or something. I or, thought there was a path just because of their schedule. Right. I, I thought that just they got all the favorable matchups at home, all that sort of stuff. But for it to actually happen. For it to actually happen. I mean, for <laughs> and them the way to, it happened. Right. Yeah. For them to be 11 and 1, because that's the thing, too. I was like, all right, I could see a three loss team getting mm-hmm. in, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I thought that maybe it would be Oklahoma in the field. Yep. For them both to be 11-1 and one right now, mm-hmm. heading into the Big 12 championship game in Arlington, Texas. I mean, what? Huge. It, it's, it's unbelievable. And, Matt, I know that we can get into, obviously, yeah. uh, the Texas yeah. Tech game and how that maybe should have gone differently. We can get into yeah. all that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. but the reality is, even if it was 10-2, yeah. like, that's still r- ridiculous, yeah. right? But now Baylor, one of uh, those last couple of teams with a, a last shot at the playoff. They're one of the three one-loss teams remaining that maybe have a shot. Um, I guess four, if you include Georgia, who plays against LSU in, that, in, in the SC title game. Um, but let's get started with this game. So, well, actually, it's this. Matt, what's your first impression of this matchup, this rematch? Really hard to beat somebody twice. Right. You know, you, you talk to high school coaches and – uh, college coaches alike will always tell you that beating someone twice, that's why it's so hard to do in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, to, to beat somebody twice in the same year is just uh, really, really tough. I think that you started to see that Jalen Hurts can get rattled oh, a yeah. little bit, not used to having people in his face. And, and Baylor got to him in that first half, uh, the first time they played. And in the last couple of weeks, Jalen has made some, uh, some uncharacteristic mistakes, you know, turning the ball over. I look at it as if Baylor's defense still – plays the way they played in the first half of the first time that they that they played. Charlie Brewer stays mistake-free. Look out. Yeah, yeah. Ish, what about you? I'm wondering what each team got from their – from the last matchup yeah. in terms of what what Baylor took from its first half and what Oklahoma took from its second half. Right. Because obviously we saw what happened in the first half. Baylor came out storming. Made Jalen Hurts uncomfortable, blitzed him a lot. They didn't. The offense looked good. It wasn't great, but they had, were in great field position, mm-hmm. so they took advantage of that. Second half, Oklahoma. I guess it took a half for them to realize that they're a more balanced team than they have been in the past mm-hmm. few years, and they got back to that kind of ground control. Um, you could run the ball game. on Baylor, right? You can and run that's the ball. The thing where I'm like, okay, Baylor's going to take from that first half. Was it just 
Oklahoma probably throwing a little too much mm-hmm. and then capitalizing on that? Or do they look at that second half as like, all right, that's what we should expect Oklahoma to be, yeah. and we should probably game plan to that as opposed – and now, I mean, now C.D. Lamb's going to be here too as well. Yeah. So that's right. another factor that's going to be um, something. But from that first game, it's just what – from the good halves from both teams, what they take from that. That's going to be yeah. a big thing. Well, let's start with this. Uh, the lines that I've seen have Oklahoma favored by about nine. Mm-hmm. To me, that's kind of wild. You know, just not necessarily that I don't think Oklahoma can win by that amount, mm-hmm. but uh, but to kind of go in with that assumption because we saw how the last game went. And when I'm looking at this game, the biggest thing that I can say about this game is it will look nothing like the last game. Right. Because Baylor won't get up to a 25-point lead. They just won't, no. right? Nor do I even think they want to at this point. I think they understand if they have those opportunities, they have to hold on to the ball a little bit better in the first half. Uh, when you look at Oklahoma, they're not going to score three points in the first half. Baylor's not going to be shut out for an entire half. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are just so many things that happen in this last game that are absurd, that are, yep. are really just not something that can ever be replicated. And... um. I'm really curious because in this last game against Baylor, Oklahoma had a lot of success when they started not trying to throw the ball downfield at all. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, because Jalen Hurts, while he's been, I think, really good, I mean, I, I think he's also had some clear weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And Baylor was able to exploit a lot of them in that first half. Um, when they had success in the second half was when they basically, I don't want to say took the ball out of his hands because he was doing a lot of it, but when they started taking decisions out of his hands when they started just throwing outs when they started throwing slants when they started running the ball obviously a lot more both with Hertz and and otherwise um and and that's that's the funny thing about CeeDee Lamb coming back is that CeeDee Lamb to me is the best player on that offense Mm -hmm. you know Jalen Hurts has been incredible but I think CeeDee Lamb is the best player on that offense for sure I don't know if them throwing the ball downfield to him is necessarily the best idea because I think that we saw in that last game, when they threw the ball downfield, Baylor's defensive backs are good enough to cause issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, when I look at this game, like, nothing is going to be the same as the last game. That's the biggest thing to me. But, um, you know, let's, let's start looking first, offense versus defense, Oklahoma's versus Baylor's defense, okay? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the first half or the second half was more representative of what we should see on Saturday? I would probably say the second half because Oklahoma has all the talent in the world to do what they want to do. You know, they're going to score points. Um, I think what you've seen the last couple of weeks, though, is that uh, something that's always been, I think, a concern for Oklahoma is Jalen Hurts' ball security, especially right. in the pocket. I mean, he, he really doesn't secure the ball whenever he decides to tuck it and run. Or the pocket awareness is, you know, it's good. It's not elite. That's that's my yeah. that's my interpretation yeah. of it. That and and Baylor is so good at going after the ball. I mean, their defensive ends. I mean, really go after that ball. So, uh, I, I I still think that Oklahoma will score points. Just uh, you know, you don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, in the last game, I said I think it's a race to thirty-five. You know, yeah. and and ultimately, neither team actually got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think I kind of agree with the second half. Um, because you look at Oklahoma's last four games from Baylor. Actually, let's even go before that with Iowa State. Um, 41 rushing attempts against Baylor. Uh, 52, obviously, most of that came in the second half. They really didn't right. run the ball really at all in the first half. Uh, 64 in that near loss against TCU. Uh, 44 last week against Oklahoma State. Do you know where Oklahoma ranks in rushing yards per attempt? I'm assuming top three. They're first. They're first. They're first they? in the nation. Yeah. And, that has been one of the most interesting things about Oklahoma this year is that they've 
completely changed our identity. Yeah. Like, you know, we know this as a vertical, we know Lincoln Riley as a vertical guy, you know, four verts, spread them out completely. That is not Oklahoma this year. Right. It's yes, yes, they don't, without CeeDee Lamb, they don't have the depth of game-breaking receivers that can stretch the field 70 yards, but they have guys who can play underneath, but the most important thing is they have Jalen Hurts, who's not, whose primary weapon is not his arm. Yeah. He can run the ball 20, 25 times a game, and I think that they... I hate to say that they got a little ahead of themselves in that first half of the Baylor game, but I think they got a little ahead of themselves. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is interesting about looking at last time, um, you know, they ran the ball 52 times for 228 yards, right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't run the ball very efficiently. Right. Right. I mean, but they kind of just committed and were like, this is our best shot mm-hmm. to try to not make mistakes. And yeah. the other thing was, they saw their defense getting tired because they, right. they were getting put in terrible positions. Right. And Baylor was capitalizing on that. Baylor's offensive line was right. absolutely dominant in that first half. And so they said, we got to make sure that our defense stays off the field for a while. Right. And I'm curious because, you know, Lincoln Riley is a, you know, is a, we want to get in the end zone. We want to be explosive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually really interesting for me. And actually, I think a huge credit to Lincoln Riley that in that last game, he was just like, let's just take it all the way down. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's be, I know that obviously this isn't the kind of team they are. They basically ran a passing version of the triple in the second yeah. half of that game. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what they did. Yeah, Mike um, Gundy pointed it out right. last week. Right, yeah, it's basically the wishbone, right? And, and so, and I think that, I'm curious, right? Does Lincoln Riley think that was a path where we had success? Does he think, well, Baylor's probably practiced that a lot because they probably are mm-hmm. expecting it? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing, too, is like, Baylor was in position to make a lot of tackles, it's just that Oklahoma's receivers were so good that they turned three yards yeah. into five, mm-hmm. you know, and that was the difference in that, in that ball game. And, um, you know, but does, does Lincoln Riley say this is probably the safest game plan or does he try to be more aggressive now that Stevie lands back? Does he try to spread the field, which again, to me, might not be the best idea. Right. If they get that running game going early and then you're, you're having to walk safeties up a little bit to help yeah. out mm-hmm. CD lamb, uh, just has elite speed, right. you know, kind of like uh, another couple of receivers they've had in the last couple of years right. that can really beat you over the top. Well, right. and I think that's where it's interesting, though, is because Baylor has been a team that has been able to stop the run pretty well with their base, you know, not even seven, they're five, mm-hmm. basically, you know, maybe bring down one guy um, and, and been able to stay home with, with eight potentially dropping back. Yeah, so one thing that's interesting to me is after that loss, Jalen Hurts has not passed for over 170 yards in yeah. the past two games. Well, they've basically been like, they, you are not passing We are this. not <laughs> going to put this in. Right. But the, the other thing is, like, against, against like, TCU, like, you figure that'd be a game, you know, that was close. Yeah. Was like, oh, yeah. God. You know, that was a game where they were kind of put on their heel a little bit. They still weren't throwing the ball. Yeah. Like, yeah. they are committed to making teams stop the run, and teams aren't able to. And I'm really curious. If this does get, I'm not saying, you know, Baylor's going to go up 28-3, but, right. like, if they get up 14-3, right. what happens? Do yeah. they start opening up? Do right. they start you know, putting the ball downfield more, which is what what has kind of hindered that offense and Jalen Hurts this year? Yeah, so. and as somebody who who you know covered Baylor back when, when obviously Art Bryles was there, mm-hmm. the idea that a coach could fundamentally change his identity yeah. and, yeah. and DNA almost mm-hmm. so much over the course of even a season, because earlier in the year they were throwing the ball a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's just such a credit to Lincoln Riley and, and the personnel too, obviously, yeah. but, but I think it's really a credit to, to Lincoln Riley. Let's look at the other side of the ball. So Baylor, of course, mm-hmm. scares 28 points in that first half, gets shut out in the second half, or uh, 31 was it in the first half, and, and gets shut out in the second half. Um, 
Now, again, a lot of things about the game are not going to be the same the second time around. Mm -hmm. One, Baylor won't have tremendous field position every drive in the first half. And second, Baylor's not probably going to run four plays or whatever it was in the third Mm -hmm. quarter. Um, So, Ish, let's start with you. Yeah. When you look at how this Baylor offense has developed since that game, mm-hmm. and, and I think it has. It I has. think I think it's uh, changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think it matches up going into that second matchup? Oh man, I think what I'm I'm just going to need to be able to see some sustainability. Yeah, um, because again, everybody looks at the scoreboard right when he looked at that first game. That, <coughs> that offense had layups. That offense was given layups by that by the stops that incredible Definitely. defense was giving the the turnovers they were forcing and all that. I think they were they they were they were good enough to capitalize on good field position, which is what you you know that's yep. essentially Baylor been Baylor's mo all game all season long. Yeah, is capitalizing when the defense puts you in good positions. I've been saying it all year. I feel like this. I feel like we need a Charlie Brewer game. Yeah, I yeah. feel like this is we the haven't game had it. Where we we have not had that Charlie Brewer game. Texas was okay. Like, you know, they kind of just sat on the game against Texas. They didn't really need to exert themselves. Kansas was a style point game. Like, they didn't really – they weren't really tested that much. I think this is the week where we're going to need a Charlie Brewer game because I don't know if you can get into a ground control game versus Oklahoma. Yeah. Because Oklahoma's going to be better at that. <laughs> yeah. And so I think you're going to be able – you're going to need – I think, again, it's going to be more indicative of the second half where Charlie Brewer is only going to have the ball for, like, 20-ish minutes, I feel, yeah. if Oklahoma really wants him to. And he's going to have to make those count. Right. So that's that's where I think it's leaning this time around. Yeah. Yeah, if, if I'm Oklahoma, I take away the middle of the field. Uh, Baylor has made a lot of money. Uh, I shouldn't say money, but they've made a living <laughs> off of yeah. running the crossing routes and, yeah. and really exploiting the middle of the, of the defense. I take away the middle. Charlie Brewer is a guy who I have a ton of uh, respect for. doesn't have a super strong arm. Yeah. So if I make him throw to the outsides <coughs> – Excuse me. Make him throw outside. Um, see if maybe you can get a couple of picks. But Charlie's going to have to play mistake-free football for them to have a chance. Yeah. Here's one more thing I got to say. They had to find another option besides him in the running game. That was actually what I was going to bring up. Okay, they so not use him primarily in the, the running game as well as against arm. Oklahoma and against Texas, right? Yeah. Um, Oklahoma was was obviously the the way more dire one. Mm-hmm. Seventeen of Baylor's twenty three rush attempts for Charlie Brewer. Right. And in the Texas game, eighteen of Baylor's thirty seven attempts. And here's the deal, right? They had success with the running back run. Right. You know, they, they were able to run the ball Tom with Lovett's those a guys. good running back. He's a very good running back. Yeah. They brought in Gary Bohannon for a couple of, uh, of red zone yep. drives. You know, that worked. Um, you know, obviously, it's, it's Kansas, but they dominated Kansas up front. Mm-hmm. And I think that this has been a different offensive line since Connor Galvin at left tackle has come back as mm-hmm. well. Um, this, I think that they're playing at a very high level. They've brought in Khalil Keith. They brought in Xavier Newman. They are playing at a high level, I think, on the offensive line right now, relatively speaking. Right. Um, they're not an elite offensive line by any means. Nope. But, but I think that against Texas, I mean, the fact that they were able to control the game. Mm-hmm. That's something, right? Yeah. It's not everything. It's something. It's good. I know Jamichael Hasty kind of fell out of the rotation a little right. bit. He got back against Kansas. So yeah, and I just, I just really don't. Like, I, I want Charlie Brewer to have ten design carries in right. the game. Yeah. I want him to be a yeah. threat. It's right. part of their game. He's, he's, but the Texas game was too much. It was too much. Uh, the first time against Oklahoma, it was there was working. Right, but that can't be the crux of running it. That just right. can't be. It needs to be love it slash Hasty. Right. Then comma. Well, and, and, Charlie Brewer. and the whole deal, right, is that I also just think that. I understand the zone rate stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's actually a pretty good idea. But you just have to also design those to where the running back's going to get it to. And he, he's not a big guy. No, that's, no. that's not a, a big, big part guy. of it, too. Big and hits. he's yeah. going to take some shots. Yeah. Run him. 
No, and and I think that we saw against Texas, you know, especially late in that game when the game was basically over. Mm. You know, he was taking some shots, and he was just like why is yeah right? We stopped doing that, and yeah. and it makes him a more dangerous player for sure. But it's also not like he's Jalen Hurts, even not just durability wise, but as a runner. Right, right? right. It's not like you're winning the game right. on the back of Charlie Brewer running right. the ball. I, I think that you have to use him. Right. Because then it changed the way Oklahoma defends him, mm-hmm. and it, it makes it eleven on eleven. It's kind of more of a squirrely runner, right? Like yeah. Jalen Hurts is just forward down, right? Charlie Brewer's more like right, like like Charlie right Brewer yeah, just wiggle my miss. body. Charlie Brewer's more sort of you know you have Jalen Hurts, you have Sam Ellinger as yeah. guys who are like these Bulldozers. are running guys, yeah. these are threats, these are guys yep. who you have to use them as a runner. Yeah. Like like if you took away Sam Ellinger and Jalen Hurts' running ability, I think that they'd be not super special quarterbacks. Right. You know, Charlie is a very good passer who can also run. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just different styles of players. And I think that you have to make them account for it, but you don't need to call, like, six draws on one drive. Right, you right. know, you just don't need to do that. And um, and I think it's going to be critical. You know, Jamichael Hasty has had a very good senior year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. John Lovett has been playing very well. <coughs> and last week, the guy who stepped up was Tristan Ebner, who's another mm, guy yep. from Hendrickson who – who really has played at a high level for Baylor and has been hurt for a lot of the year. So you have your healthy running back room. You know, you can even bring in a Quaylen Jones and stuff like that, obviously, yep. a, a true mm-hmm. freshman who's redshirted. You have the running backs. I don't think that's a question. You have an offensive line that's playing at a high level right now. I think you at least have to try, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? Maybe for the first, you know, quarter and a half, they're only averaging 3.8 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. you got to keep at it yeah. because – we saw what happened in that last game. When you're just running Brewer, it's predictable. In that mm-hmm. second half, they took that away. And also, uh, you know, when, when you only run and pass with one player, then teams know how to account for him. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, when I look at the key to this game for Baylor, I think that, uh, that being able to establish their running backs as just a part of the game, even, even in the pass game, for example, you know, even, even on a you know, screen pass and stuff like that, you have to make them a part of the running right. game and uh, of the passing game because they're good players. You know, they're some of the better players on the roster. So let's go around. Okay, so again, the line is Oklahoma minus nine. But let's pick both, uh, you know, against the spread, and let's also pick outright. Okay. Okay. So, Matt, let's start with you. Oh, boy. I got to pick them both, huh? I'll take uh, Baylor and the points. But I'll also say I think Baylor wins outright. Wow. Wow. Ish. I'll take Baylor and the points, but Oklahoma outright. Yeah. I think that second half is going to – that second half should show me more of what this game is going to be. Yeah. I think that Baylor's going to be very well prepared mm-hmm. to defend what Oklahoma did in that second half because I think they're one of the few teams in football that has the personnel to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and True. also obviously has the, the defensive minds to deal with it, of course, as well. Yeah. Uh, for me, when a team plays two separate times, usually talent wins out the second time. And while Baylor is very talented, they're still younger. They're still, you know, they don't have all the depth that Oklahoma has. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been relatively fortunate with injuries with a couple of exceptions this year um and and i think that those are the sort of things that when you get into your 13th game start to come up i think baylor wins a lot of the matches in this game you know i think yeah. that they have advantages in a lot of places i mean defensive line oh my god you know their their mm-hmm. defense line is incredible their secondaries played really well their linebackers have been sure um and even even on offense i mean their receivers are really good but when a team plays two times again I think talent usually ends up winning out. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think really and truly either team has a chance to win this ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also do think to a certain extent that Baylor wants it more because of 
kind of what they've been through the last couple of years. And Oklahoma, you know, this is expected at a mm-hmm. certain point. I think Oklahoma wins, but Baylor covers. Okay. And I think it comes down to truly the fourth quarter. I can see – I see a lot of, in different ways, different parallels to last year. I think Oklahoma's defense is going to have to make a play like they did yeah. last year against Texas. Um as they've been asked to do a lot yep. this season. Uh, they've been ridiculed again, not as much as last year, but in big situations they've come up huge and they've been the ones to make the plays mm. down the street. And they deserve a lot them. of credit. They deserve a lot of credit for being a vastly improved unit. I think that's what's go- it's going to have to come down to that defense, yeah. making a crunch time stop, a sack, a safety like we saw last because year. Because the big turnover. thing to me, too, is like if you take this Oklahoma offense of this year, like it's really good, right? I, I'm yeah. not saying that it's a bad offense by any means, but if you take this offense and put it with last year's defense, for example, right. I don't even know if this team makes it to the title game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they need their defense to step up big, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I Agreed think that they that. are a more complete team than they have been in the past couple mm-hmm. of years. Uh, all right. Well, the big question, though, if you're heading to Arlington for this game, mm-hmm. where do you need to go before the game and after? Well, I'll give you a couple of, I'll give you a couple of different suggestions. Obviously, Texas Live yeah. is, uh, is just a really awesome entertainment area for us that's, that's fairly new. It's about a year old. Right next door to that is, is Live by Lowe's Hotel. Great places to go stop in, get a drink, get something to eat, really enjoy uh, some great college football atmosphere. Uh, number one question I get asked is, hey, I, I, Matt, I, I don't want to go park my car. Where should I go park and ride or whatever? Uh, Jay Gilligan's, which has been a staple in Arlington for over 30 years, I think 40 years, uh, is in downtown Arlington. I think it's $8 to go get something to eat, get a couple drinks, Hop on the shuttle. It's going to drop you off right in front of the stadium. It'll pick you up right afterwards. It's a great way to great way to do it. I'll take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'll I'll jump in here too. I don't know. Are we official on this meetup as yet? We'll see. I, I think that yeah, we are you guys have something pr- pretty dang close to official close. on this meetup, yeah. right? It's close. Okay. So if you are in DFW, and especially if you're going to go watch the Texas High School Football State Championships, which by the way. I'm not Why a, wouldn't you? I'm a high school. I'm not a high school guy. You know, I, I I didn't grow up with it. Like I, that's not what I do. Yeah, it is an incredible experience, yeah. right? I mean, I, I went to the uh, the La Vega versus uh, Liberty Hill, game, Liberty Hill yeah. game last year. That place is nuts, man. Like yeah. I've I've been to many college games there. I've been to pro games there. It's a different animal. It's a different animal when there's high school football, man. And and even if you're not a, a, a high school football fan mm-hmm. at heart, if you're in the area. You, you need to make it to a game. You know, yeah. obviously, I think the you know the potential six A games at the end are are the headliners. Mm-hmm. But like even seeing some of the two A stuff, like that, that's a, get to get to one of those days. Yeah, yeah, and it's sure. a great value. I mean, one ticket gets you into all the games. Yeah, that's the cheapest you're going to get in that stadium. Man. <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> hell, man, just great. go on a tour. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but but what we were going to say that weekend. Uh, we are working on a meetup at Texan Live, and where you'll we're subscribers, mm-hmm. and this will be a subscriber-only event. And by the way, if you're not a subscriber, textfootball.com/slash-subscribe. Uh, subscribers will be able to get into the event. We're hoping to be able to feed you. We're hoping to be able to to hang out with you guys for a little bit before uh, the games. We're still trying to figure out the final details, mm-hmm. but keep an eye out for that. Uh, I mean, look, if you have followed our work. We love getting to. I love getting to run into people when mm-hmm. I go to games um, over the weekends. I mean, I always have great conversations. So you know where we're going to be potentially yep. on, on on a morning. So we'll figure that out. We'll get you the details as soon as we can. Uh, and uh, yeah, Texan Live, man. It's, Texas, it, live. Texas, Texas Live. Texas Live. We'll see you in Arlington, Texas, for it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, anyway, thank you to everybody for joining us. Uh, thank you to Matt Wilson for joining the show. Thank you. We will be back with you guys again 
on Sunday, right? We'll, yeah. we'll probably recap we'll the recap, game. Yeah. We'll, we'll do something. I mean, just recap the season a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, come up with a final college football power poll. So, uh, yeah. Well, uh, for Ishmael Johnson, Matt Wilson, I'm Shahan J. Raja. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will be back with you again on Saturday.